0: Today on The Culture of Tech, we have Felicia Day, an actress perhaps best known as creator of The Guild, a pioneering web TV show that launched in 2007. She's also acted on shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Supernatural, and she's currently playing Kinga Forrester on Mystery Science Theater 3000. So welcome to The Culture of Tech, Felicia. It's an honor to have you here.
1: Thanks very much. I'm happy to be here.
0: So today I'd like to talk about The Pursuit of Happiness. And this the cool thing is I just figured this out, which is your name, Felicia, actually means happiness or happy or happy things or some kind of thing. Did you know that?
1: I did know that. It's yeah. like felicitations and yeah. Feliz, Feliz Navidad and all yeah. that stuff. That's yeah, amazing. it is Latin for happiness.
0: Yeah, I've, I read uh, the Latin adjective Felix means happy. And so Felicia means happy things or something like that. But that's really cool. That's just a coincidence, but it's not a surprise because you tend to be kind of happy in general.
1: You know, in general, I'm a pre- I'm a peppy person. Some of it's forced sometimes when I'm depressed. <laughs> but no, in general, I'm a very happy person and I like laughing and being and making other people happy. So that's probably why I'm an actor. I got into it to make other people laugh.
0: Oh, that's cool. So, but in this case, the pursuit of happiness is going to mean the colonial style which they they meant it to mean the freedom to do what you do best or to live up to your own potential and and happiness back then in the colonial days didn't necessarily mean oh i'm so happy to please myself it meant meeting your needs sort of thing that's what i read Mm -hmm. but the funny thing is is i've been thinking about the idea of being a geek or a, a nerd or something and um I just thought about this in the Declaration of Independence. It says, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's sort of like being a geek is one of our founding tenets of our country, if you think about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, living up to your potential, it's what we are obligated to do on this earth. I mean, otherwise, what are we doing? We're just kind of making widgets. I mean... We're all individual. We have a, a genetic blessing to be, have a unique point of view based on who we are. And I think it's important that we express that in some way during our lifetimes or, yeah, there is no point.
0: So let's go way back to um, something like, have you ever been made fun of for doing something you love to do? Maybe when you're a kid.
1: You know, I was homeschooled, so I, I've not been mocked in my life that much in my early life. I was uh, always very isolated in a sense so I kind of grew up loving the things I love without being shamed for them and I think that's why I'm the person I am today because I think anybody would kind of abandon some things because people made fun of them for them or you didn't get accepted for them I think that's really tragic to be honest with you and I'm very grateful for not having that upbringing when I was an adult I certainly when if I would mention in (laughs) a company that I play video games as a hobby people would definitely would look at me weirdly because I'm a woman and that's not really, especially 10, 15 years ago, that was not something that people perceived women to be doing as a fun pastime. You know, now it's much more acceptable, I think, even though you, you might get some comments it you, you feel stronger because you know there are a lot of other people out there like you with that interest. So, but yeah, I was blessed to not have that happen as a kid, but as an adult, yes. And uh, I guess my whole thing in life is just, if somebody tells me I can't do something, I definitely do it twice as hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a, a good personality trait or not, but it's, it's seen me well.
0: <laughs> that's funny. I was actually thinking about that because uh, Felicia and I have talked before. Uh, a few years ago, I interviewed her for my blog, Vintage Computing and Gaming. And at that time, I had just read her book called You're Never Weird on the Internet, Almost, which is a neat memoir where she talks about how she has... Essentially, I I, I would summarize it by saying it's how you embraced what you love and you turned it into a career essentially just you embrace who you are as a person and sort of your your own weaknesses turn into strengths when you develop the guild and things like that and um now i forgot what point i was making oh yeah the homeschool <laughs> thing yeah i learned about the homeschool in that which is uh, was well, going to be another one of my questions that you already answered, which is I was wondering if your homeschooling, you know, sheltered you from some of those bullying experiences and made you who you are today. But you just said that.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it did. It, it 100% did. And I wouldn't have made the choices that I made. And the funny thing is that I, after I moved to Hollywood, I tried very hard to conform to what people thought that I should conform to. And I, I was always like second choice and third choice. And um, for all the thing, all the roles that I really was trying to pretend that I was right for, but I didn't really see the roles that I was really drawn to when I was reading for things. Even so, I think when I finally embraced being kind of a misfit and I found my home in the Buffyverse kind of and the Joss verse a little bit, and then I decided to just make my own role. That was when I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to fail if I try to fit in, and I have to tell myself to this day stop trying to fit in, stop trying to write something that Hollywood would like, stop doing it, just do your thing and you're going to be so much happier in life. So I do think that growing up kind of away from that sort of peer pressure and conformity, it's it's had some negatives, but I think overall it's been very positive in, on my life.
0: Yeah. And it made me wonder if everyone else is sort of missing out because we all have to go to public school and get shamed for, <laughs> for things like that.
1: You know, I mean, I think that I'm a lot more neurotic and I probably have an anxiety disorder because I wasn't criticized enough. Um, but, you know, I think there's a, there's, there's always a light and a dark side of a coin.
0: Did you yeah. have a trophy experience where you were praised all the time by your parents or, or something? Like no,
1: that? I was always criticized. Okay. I was, it was never quite good enough. No, I mean, or I was like the best thing in the world, which also sets you up for, um, I think, Some of the ways that I was brought up encouraged perfectionism syndrome, where you're too afraid to try something because you don't want to be imperfect. And that's something I've had to work a lot on the the last 10 years of my life, really uh, kind of overcoming that. So I'll be risk being bad because I think that's super important. It's something as a parent now, as I have a one-year-old, and and, and as I raise her, I don't want to ever pressure her to like something that I like because I like it and I never want to... um, uh, make her feel like she can't fail. I mean, failing is good because it leads you to the, the right kind of success versus the wrong kind of success of um, being so careful that you're conforming to what other people like.
0: I've actually had that similar, you know, I'm a father of a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. And I was thinking about how much I protect them from failure or danger or harm and stuff like that and what that's doing to them as people. If they can't actually fail or if they can't actually say, like, get burned a little bit, you know, and learn that fire is dangerous, you know what I mean? Like, if you always keep them away from it, then someday they're going to be 20 and they're going to stick a blowtorch in their face or something. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid no, it's of. No, true. And <laughs> yeah. you don't
1: want to protect them from criticism or bullying or, you know, you don't, you don't want to completely protect them from negative things because you're stronger. I always like to say I'm always stronger from coming out of my failures than any success. Yeah,
0: and failure is the greatest teacher, too, as Yoda True. says, which is... He well, Yoda knows everything. Yeah, he <laughs> didn't He didn't make that up. He got it from somewhere else. But, yeah, I mean, I love the stories of pioneers who have failed spectacularly. Like, mm-hmm. one of my personal heroes, um, Nolan Bushnell, is an interesting guy because he uh, founded Atari, and then he went on to do a whole string of things that were not very successful. But he bounced back, and... Now he has so much wisdom about success and failure. And I can just ask him, you know, and he gives me a sage answer of like, if you have a family and a roof over your head, you're okay. And you can always, you know, try again.
1: It's true. It's really true. And if you're always too careful, then you're never going to risk in the way that you need to, to be able to succeed. Because honestly, you have to be really brave to, to put yourself out there in whatever you do. But if you don't have that bravery, you might never even have the chance to try.
0: That's true. As a slight tangent, I want to share this idea with you because I don't have anybody else to share it with. But I was thinking about kids and toys. Like, I was always wondering why my kids break everything. It seems like they rip everything apart. And I realized that from a very young age, they were given a whole bunch of toys that are sort of unbreakable, that mm-hmm. they don't have to be careful with ever. They can toss mm-hmm. them around the room and they're fine. You know, they don't, they don't break. And then suddenly when they get everything else, it smashes to pieces because they don't know. So I think this is an extension of, like, learning that things break or to be careful. You know, you have to, like, maybe I should have given them some glass candelabras or something when they're <laughs>
1: little <laughs> to play with. Learn, learn that things break? I mean, yeah. yeah. I think my my baby has broken a lot of things. In my <laughs> yeah. I think she's going to be f- good. She's You're saying that's good. Okay, great. I mean, I don't have yeah. any glasses anymore, but. It'll yeah, be, good for, yeah, it'll okay, be good, good for her. Yeah, I think it'll be good for her. Okay, good. Thank you.
0: Are your parents geeks? Uh, Does this inherited? I
1: I think they are. My dad definitely always wore like a thing on his belt to carry his phone. And Mm -hmm. my mom, surprisingly, she you know her my grandfather, her father was a nuclear physicist, and he Mm -hmm. always had technology around the house. And my mom was oh, I I remember having a cell phone that was part of a suitcase because it was such an early cell phone that we had it in the car and. She reads science fiction, and I, you know, I think she as is a real geek, but you never think it. When, I don't think of my mom as a geek, but she likes a lot of geeky things, mm-hmm. and I think that's where I got it. I just adopted some of her interests when I was a kid. She never self-identified as a geek, but yeah. the things she lo- was drawn to were certainly, I guess, geeky in retrospect. She just liked what she likes, and I think that's kind of what we should all do in this world.
0: Well, is that the definition of a geek, as someone who is not afraid to like what they like, or... Is yeah. there something else to it like an intellectualism or attention to detail or something you know what do you think
1: I mean I think geek the word nerd and geek are just I mean they're very overused but at the same time um I think there is an aspect of being overly enthusiastic and knowledgeable about, about something and excited to share that with other people Yeah I think the geek, the geek one is more of a social thing like and I think nerd is what, like maybe a less social version of that definition.
0: Yeah, I get it. Like you geek out over something, you talk about how mm-hmm. cool it is, like all the little details and that's really neat. So do yeah. you uh, mind being associated with the word geek? Some That seems like a description, like queen of geeks and things people say about you. What do you think about that? I mean, I don't that?
1: love that either because I'm like, I, you mm-hmm. should never anoint yourself a queen. That just seems like a really yeah. bad idea. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I uh,
0: – Let them eat cake
1: okay exactly. that's just asking for a downfall mm-hmm. but at the same time yeah I, I don't mind it because I don't feel like I'm being branded or something as an outsider or something. I don't I know that people use it used to use it as a shaming thing and then people use it as a point of pride and I mean however you want to perceive it, like I think the important thing is not letting somebody else define you or the terminology used about you. You should be able to take control of it yourself. And uh, I think that's super super important.
0: I was just thinking about yeah the the word geek originally meant sort of like a freak like a circus sideshow freak a long time ago and it's yeah turned into a word of empowerment just sort of using it and you know wielding it our you know ourselves I'm including yeah, myself yeah it's true
1: that's totally true just
0: there's a parallel in um, African American history I was just thinking about which is they were you know called Negroes and colored and things like that and then they made black sort of their word of empowerment, and they owned it, and they owned the other derogatory terms called. And uh, I feel like this is sort of, it's a way to, to turn um, some sort of social tide.
1: Well, I think shame, when, when someone is trying to make you feel shame, I think it's important to, um, the best thing you could do is not have it affect you. Because the, the whole thing, I think, the, some of the root of the problems of humanity is that we try to make other different and shameful Because we think that we are superior to other people, we, as in the person who would shame other people for being different, Um, whether it's for race or people, what people look like, or what they're interested in, Mm -hmm. um, or their religion, you know, like they're from, it runs the gamut of severity. But there's a base instinct of humanity to shame what is not like you, and that I think Hmm. is the root of what I have a problem with. Because I think we are all richer the more different we are. We learn from each other. Um, yeah. And you see the world differently, and you realize there is not one way to see the world or other people. There are, every single person sees it's like color. We supposedly, we never all of us don't see color exactly the same way. We just don't know that. Hmm. And that's kind of like point of view on the world as well, I think.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I wonder if we are at a transition point where we don't all try to conform to some sort of um, artificial standard and we're all allowed to do what we do best and love what we love, thanks to, Uh, you
1: know. I mean, I think that's a nice idea, but I think if you look at the political atmosphere now, I think there's a big backlash against that um, Mm. from people who are threatened about um, certain demographics, who are threatened about their standing and um, threatened by diversity and other voices maybe ascending above them in their perception, which I don't think is necessarily true, Um, but I I think there is a backlash happening. Um, and I hope that you know people are strong and just say, you know, everyone can be who they are. Um, but I'm not going to be lesser than you anymore, or or at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that obviously the culture wars have accelerated dramatically um, because of our connectedness. But I also feel like it, you know, it is a, what allowed us to know that there's other people like us out there. Uh, it's if we're true. in a niche absolutely. groups, you know,
1: absolutely. And, I uh, think. The, the, the good and the bad of the internet is that it allows people to congregate and feel accepted no matter what they, their point of view is
0: yeah and yeah and yeah <laughs> there's unhealthy groups who also congregate of course too so.
1: exactly mm-hmm. i mean double-edged uh, unhealthy sword for, unhealthy for society at large yeah but yeah
0: Let's talk just a minute about your background as a tech enthusiast, since that's a big interest of my audience and things like that. About like Ultima. What was, what's your favorite Ultima game?
1: I mean, I love Seven because it was literally mm-hmm. the best graphics that I've ever seen in my life. And that's having come from like Five and Six and like other things um, uh, like that, which is really hilarious. Um, but at the time, I remember being just absolutely blown away yeah uh, I was like, oh my god, I cannot believe that these graphics are real oh, this the, looks yeah. real this looks and they know they look now they are like whoa, this is that's the, this is not good you're <laughs>
0: yeah that's the way I felt when I saw wolfenstein 3 d I was like, holy oh crap, crap this is realistic
1: this is incredible it, I am there and, yeah, like, no,
0: and there was really. these echoing through the corridors the the we, we had a sound blaster pro so our the, the doors would they just, and stuff and it just wow. terrified me we'd turn out the lights and put that on the, you know stereo speakers <laughs> and terrified me and my brother
1: really funny wow
0: and so you moved on to online gaming like ultima online right and yeah became um, part of the ultima dragons
1: i was that was before ultima online was not that i was in that uh, okay like before yeah that was way before ultima online i played a little bit before college and i just it was hard to succeed in that game. I played the first six months and it was just too hard. It was very difficult. Oh yeah. And then I got into college and I was just I didn't have the time for it.
0: Yeah, I but, remember uh, now you were on Prodigy with the Ultimate Dragons, right? Yeah, way I was back on Prodigy. That's how
1: I met you because I emailed you and I was like, hey, is there any way to find Prodigy message board um, files anywhere? And so that I reached out to you because I was like, there's I was doing research for my book and I was like, wouldn't it be funny to find some of the posts that I posted on Prodigy? and be able to use some of them in my book or at least quote them. And unfortunately, you broke it to me that they're on a hard drive in a basement somewhere or <laughs> they were—they don't exist. Yeah. So that's the sad part, which is crazy to think that whole networks disappeared on a hard drive. What we do on the internet is going to probably disappear the same way. So I don't yeah. know. It's really, it feels like this big part of our world is so ephemeral. And in 10 years, nothing we post on the internet is going to be there. Yeah. It's certainly not guaranteed.
0: It's that's terrifying, and yet maybe it's okay. <laughs> the funny <You> know, thing,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true.
0: <laughs> at first, I was scared, and now I maybe I'm thinking, okay, maybe we can just forget this period of history. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. The you know, I did an article on Prodigy. Um, that's probably why you found me. And at the v- very end, I came to some conclusion. I compared it to the Library of Alexandria and things like that. All these dramatic uh, metaphors and um, yeah, the Prodigy archives. I have a tip, a secret tip. That I'm going to reveal, which is that they exist in a lawyer's safe somewhere in Texas or something. What? But, yeah, but I can't get to them because they still use them as um, patent uh, evidence or something like that. IBM is still litigating patent trials even on expired patents. And things Are you like that. kidding? Yeah.
1: But why can't they release them?
0: Well, I'm still I mean, working a copy on it. Of them. Yeah, I'm trying. I mean, it's you know, you have to have a receptive audience that appreciates the value, cultural value of this stuff. And it's a sort of a generational thing now. Where,
1: wow.
0: Um, folks like us who grew up with it, um, or were older, even when we grew up with it as teenagers, um, we value it. And the, the older generation just thinks of it as a product and a you know, financial issue. Yeah, but, issue.
1: I mean, what I don't understand is that it's owned by every, you know, I, yeah, you'd think that, hey, I own a little bit of this because it's me, you know? I mean, there's yeah. no reason to... Not release a part of it, at least, online.
0: Well, I'm still, I have a group on Slack. We talk about Prodigy Restoration, uh, the Prodigy Restoration Project. And we're trying to reverse engineer the Prodigy client and things like that. Mm-hmm. Somebody just oh, had fine. a breakthrough where they could render the Prodigy graphics, NAPLPS, they call it, uh, naplips. In, in javascript on a browser so that's a first step wow the goal is to make i want to like extract prodigy pages that have come from cache files that's another thing in my article um, wow and display them on the web in a native format so that's a goal we're working all on. all right still.
1: that's so, pretty impressive yeah. <laughs> well if you ever find some really bad fan fiction that i wrote yeah before, what was your but, yeah.
0: name again dragon it was codex, codex
1: dragon codex, so yeah. listen if you ever find some really bad, I did, did some fan art stuff. I mean, not fan art, but fan fiction about me being a kick ass warrior and like kicking a door open and fighting with people in a tavern. Sounds- I'm sure it's terrible, but I would love to see what I wrote at 13, which I thought was the best thing ever put on, you know, on screen. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Everybody thinks that when they're 13. Of course. Of course. Yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe in 10 years, I have no, you know, amazing things have happened when I just stick with something. So, Well,
1: what's yeah. sad is that it's on one hard drive. Like, you know, it almost makes you feel like I need to down. I do download my Twitter archives like a couple times a year <laughs> yeah. just so if I wanted to write something in the future, I can take those, you know, notes or yeah. um, it's a funny joke that I might use at stand-up or in a script or something because it's not, you know, we give so much of us up freely to these platforms and we don't realize that It's not ours anymore. Yeah. It's
0: it's a weird thing. We, you know, uh, archivists have talked about, um, it sort of becomes a public square where it's, it's not necessarily a proprietary product owned by a company, but it's actually like a forum, a public forum where uh, people conduct social things. So it means a lot more than just like, oh, I'm shutting down Prodigy because that doesn't make money anymore. It's like destroying the culture of a, group you know like,
1: well i mean if you look at city of i could i'll never forget city of heroes you know when they shut down that mmo um yeah. it was it was devastating for people because that is your virtual self and you're spending more time there than you'd spend in real life and for them to just take it away
0: yeah. is
1: uh it's kind of sad it really is sad
0: hey maybe we'll have avatar rights someday <laughs>
1: I mean, you know, you know. when VR happens, yeah. it could happen. I mean, if yeah. that is your alt self, and somebody like deletes it,
0: yeah, avatar, really Bill of Rights, you get to keep and make your avatar data portable. I don't know, yeah, whatever. That's that's interesting. Speaking of uh, MMOs, you played WoW, <laughs> wow, World of Warcraft, like crazy for a while, right?
1: Yeah, I did. I played very um, obsessively and. Um, in a bad it, it, to the point where I was addicted to it. But, you know, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, I wrote something amazing out of that experience. And I have a lot of, a, a lot to show from that experience. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, that's what I, mean, I was it, going to say.
0: I was going to say, yeah. you turn that addiction and that negative thing into, that was sort of like your rock bottom, right? And you said, yeah, I am going to embrace myself and turn this weakness into a strength. And you turn yeah. that into the guild.
1: Well, I think at the end of the day, you just have to look and see what you have to say about the world that's different. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you have something to tell the world. I want to show everyone my perspective on X, yeah. this thing that I experienced that I don't see that voice or that experience shared right now. I mean, when mm. they say write what you know, you don't really have to have lived it. It just needs to be something that's unique from your brain and from your point of view on the world.
0: Wow, that's good advice. Now, thinking of the Guild, I was just thinking about how World of Warcraft was so huge back then, but it's it not was
1: so big. Yeah, <laughs> not really
0: anymore. But like, pretend you're ten years younger now. If you had to do a show like that, what would it be about? Because it's not like the the thing anymore, you know. I know. You know was, I mean,
1: it's it's most mostly like Fortnite and you know, pub you know, those kind of PUBG. Uh, yeah, PUBG <laughs> yeah, those kind of things. Like that's what every um, that's what everybody plays, and it's less. It's more less centralized around a show and it's yeah. more centralized around a, a group of people mm-hmm. who just know each other and play games together or like a, a, a community around like a celebrity twitch twitch or YouTube streamer so it is really interesting um, yeah it's not as germane that whole guild idea is not as germane because you don't necessarily pick up random people and become totally you know um, buddies with them. and buddies with them yeah.
0: yeah i was thinking maybe there's a parallel in something like world war ii or something not in the sense that it's as that important but um yeah you know it was a thing where everybody in america all the men in america went and fought together all different people from different backgrounds of life for mm-hmm. about five years or so and then um they stopped you know yeah but then they were all you know they had old war buddies and old things and now people maybe just have old guild buddies and old mmo buddies yeah like Uh, something they went through
1: we we, we did cartoon together we were the one the only ones that take down that boss that's kind (laughs) of funny actually you know
0: it's going We covered a lot of great things already. You you yeah. have a great information density to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm pretty dense.
0: <laughs> pretty dense. Admittedly. Yeah. Before we run out of time, let's talk about that the pink Commodore sixty four you sent me just a little bit. Cause yes. I, I, I don't know if I'll use this in the podcast, but it'd be cool to talk about it just for posterity, which is tell me how you got a pink Commodore sixty four. SX64. Um,
1: okay, and I'm sorry that there is the gardener right outside, so we're going to be accompanied by a beautiful set of wee whacking as I talk about this. Salvador 64. Really, it's right outside now. Oh, they decided to cut all the branches. Anyway, um, do you want to pause a second or do you want to just keep quiet? Yeah. Okay, let me go close the door all the way. Well, I don't know if they're going to leave, but.
0: Did you have the door open to the outside?
1: I had a door. Well, it was partially open, so I think it's a little bit better right now. So, I was cleaning out my storage unit and I found this pink Commodore computer that a fan had given me like five years ago. And it's the size of the computer that I actually learned about computers on. My mom, um, or my grandfather had given my mom a quote unquote laptop and it was like as big as a desk. But that was the first computer I remember as a kid. And I would play Infocom games on it and, every, and get on CompuServe. With yeah, it was a Compaq,
0: right? Some kind of Yeah, it was a Compaq. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So a fan, a lovely uh, guy gave me this at, at signing, and I thought it was so cool, but like, I needed to clean my storage unit out because I have a baby, and I and I basically went through, and I was like, well, if I died, what would my baby ex- be excited about, and what would she be like? Well, how I get rid of this thing? So I was like, I got to get rid of this thing, but I didn't want to just give it to Goodwill. <laughs>
0: Hold on a second. And I was like- No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Slow down. You said if I died, you didn't want to leave your baby a pink Commodore
1: 64. <laughs> I just don't know what she would think. Yeah, I don't know what she would do with it. She'd be like, oh, mom, this crap. God. I want to die a clean death where she's just like, I want to move in your house. Great. I have more square footage. Um,
0: <laughs> okay. Sorry. So
1: sorry. That's how I operate. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Um, so I came across this Commodore 64. I was like, oh, what am I going to do with this thing? I was going to be like, well, I could sell it for charity, but I don't, I don't want to ship it, and I don't want to go through all that work. So I just gave a bunch of stuff to people, and I was like, hey, I remember that guy Benji I follow on Twitter. He um, he might like this. And, can, and you were coincidentally tweeting about your computer collection. Yeah. So then I was like, oh, okay, maybe he'll want it. I don't know. If not, I'll just throw it away or something.
0: And I did want so it. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. I said, of course, I'll take it, take it in. Um, yeah. It's a fascinating machine. So I forgot the guy, the name of the guy who gave it to you is Matt something. I looked, I watched some old video you did uh, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely. I did a video about it because it was so cool.
0: Yeah. And it's neat. The, uh, so I looked it up immediately after getting it. I mean, it blew my mind because I saw a label on it that says something like color analysis by Iro I apostrophe R-O. And mm-hmm. um You know, I've I mentioned Nolan earlier. uh, Nolan Bushnell. He started a company called an incubator company called Catalyst in the nineteen eighties. I wrote an article about him uh, for Fast Company a couple years ago. And one of the Catalyst companies was Iroh. and it was oh wow yeah, and it was a color matching kiosk that's supposed to use sort of computer intelligence to analyze your uh, complexion and suggest sort of makeup, I guess, or cosmetics shades or something what? that are complementary towards your um, complexion. And um, Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so oh. it the only references to that in the wild are sort of maga- uh, newspaper things that say there's also Iroh who do, does this and whatever, and it didn't really go anywhere. And so you mm-hmm. happen to have okay. this <laughs> incredibly – I
1: why.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, well, what do you think of that idea, the veracity of this, uh, this color matching idea anyway?
1: I mean, I don't think, based on the technology at the time, I can't imagine that it wasn't, was A, accurate, B, not racist. I <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course, it was probably thought you know, of I mean, by I, Nolan. I'm just, I'm
1: just putting it out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know who conceived this idea. I didn't ask Nolan that much, but I, it may have been his idea. And uh, it's like yeah. a man sort of thing to think of this, I think.
1: To think that women would need, I mean, or a want computer. that. computer, I mean, yeah. 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 To tell I mean, them. it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah. I like the fact they were thinking about women. I'm going to give them that, okay? Yeah,
0: it's, a, it's, yeah, give them that. And he, so, well, Felicia sent me, and I'm talking to the audience now, Felicia sent me a rare artifact that I'm like one of the only maybe one, two, three people in the world who would know what this is.
1: Which and is it, amazing! I'm yeah, so happy. And it shows it up a <laughs> in a
0: box. Yeah, and it's incredible. So it even I just realized on the keyboard it has this little sticker across the numbers at the top that has hair colors. It's like light gray, auburn, red. Really? You know? Yeah, I didn't even notice that at first. So I wonder what the software was like. And I was so I emailed Nolan. I said, "Hey, look at what I, I got. You <laughs> know, I got an IRO kiosk machine. I had no idea it was a Commodore 64 and stuff." And he's like, "Wow, that's amazing." and i said do you who did this project and it, it, it was um it was a, a lady who was his secretary at um atari or at catalyst or something cynthia villanueva i think i'm probably mispronouncing her name sorry and she was the head of this thing but unfortunately she passed away oh. uh, several years ago so i'm i was going to investigate all this but it's sort of a dead end i might try to find her family or something and ask her about it but it makes me wonder how this thing ended up in New Jersey, which is where it originally was there sold. On were many
1: on. of them? Were they not, were they m- many of them sold or what?
0: I bet there's just a couple like prototypes out there in stores. Wow! Here.
1: So it wasn't even like something that got mm-hmm. mass produced.
0: No. This might be the only one in the world, for all I know. I know it Matt could told me it was one.
1: rare, which I forgot until I said it to you. But I was like, well, you know, he has a collection. It's better.
0: Yeah, well, the funny thing is, so I Googled it right after you sent it to me. What's the history of this Commodore 64? And I found, yeah. first it was on eBay earlier that year of whatever year it was you got it. And mm-hmm. it was from New Jersey. And then somebody bought it, apparently the guy who gave it to you. And then people were talking about it on this forum. They said, Color analysis by Liza or something. They misread the name and totally threw them off. And they're like, "Oh, that's <laughs> just some you know idiot painted pink," and it's just a color. You know, it doesn't mean anything. You know, and so um, lucky for lucky for me, um, that's not true. So yeah. <laughs> what thanks.
1: else did I give you? I gave you something else the, too. What was the it?
0: The Ouya.
1: Oh, the Ouya, yeah. I don't I know how to pronounce that. It. Yeah, Ooya. It's an Ouya. It's just yeah. an Ouya. Yeah, it was a uh, it was it's it, a oh. it Linux or something. Yeah, it it's was like a Android.
0: Console. It's an Android console. Um, it's the developer version of the Ouya. Yeah, and
1: the it's, de- developer version. Yeah, yeah. Because they gave me one early because they wanted me to. They asked me to just judge a gaming competition, and I was yeah. like, Yeah, great.
0: The funny thing is, I, I figured that out just by pl- playing with it because I said, Okay, Felicia has this. There's a list of games that are. And like, what was she doing with this? Oh, she must be judging a game contest. So I googled it, and there it was. Yeah, which is neat. It's another historic little thing because the Ouya was a pioneering console in its own right um, as one of the first sort of media-less, um, as in no optical media, download-only cheap yeah. kind of console and it, it, it was cool and ahead it's of really its time Small.
1: it's literally the size yeah. of a like a small square box. i mean it's a very tiny box it's smaller than your phone <laughs>
0: it's the size of a small square box
1: yeah it's it exactly is, how small I mean, it is it is a small <laughs> square box it's not like that's not the best um <laughs> comparison
0: <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> it's the size of a, the world's largest die you know, yeah, like it is. It does sided look like die. a
1: 20-sided die. They could have released a limited edition, 20 okay, sided, 20 uh, sided. a six-sided die.
0: Six-sided, yeah. Well, have you seen those 20-sided dies that came from ancient Rome and stuff? Have you seen Yes, that? I have. You know, I
1: went to the British Museum, and of course. Yeah. And there's actually, uh, in, in London, I'm going to London in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to MC, MCM London. I'm a guest there. Mm-hmm. And there is a section of the British Museum that has a bunch of very early toys, wow. and there are some six-sided dice in the Egyptian wing, in the Assyrian wing, which oh, fascinating. Assyrian, me. even. I know. Assy- it's, I mean, it's even more obscure. Yeah, it's even really
0: older. Have, yeah. But that's crazy. So nerds are like they're from the dawn of civilization.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it is true, and gaming is from the audience I read somewhere there's a British Museum, there's a museum of play or something, and it has like historic <clears throat> things from hundreds of years ago about like dolls and things like that. And I really want to go. Just man, it's obvious, you know. It's listen, no, somebody was kicking around a ball when we were Neanderthal, or yeah, around Neanderthal times, and no. when we were just starting out. Do you know think, what
0: they called it? Neanderthal ball.
1: Oh boy, is this <laughs> over yet? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I got to go there. My brother went to the British Museum. I think they had the, the Rosetta Stone there.
1: Oh, it's fascinating. It really me a is picture, wonderful.
0: And I said, that's the Rosetta Stone? And he said, yep. It's yeah. one of those things where you, you watch this movie or something, and they find this ancient ark that has like dinosaur language on it and stuff. And it's like yeah. the greatest thing that ever happened. And But there are real things like that out there, and they're in the British Museum, which is amazing. <laughs> I want to go see them.
1: <laughs> wow. No, you should go. It's it's one of my favorite museums I've ever been to because there's just so much to see. Yeah, the Louvre a, as well, but you kind of have to do that in three days because
0: it's Louvre, so big. The
1: Louvre. Louvre.
0: The Louvre. Louvre. Yeah, I can't do that. So uh, to wrap things up, um, first of all, uh, well, thanks for sending me that Commodore. Um, its story is not over yet. I'm still... Oh, yeah.
1: Well, let me know when you get more information. I'm just excited you have something pink in that very beige collection.
0: Here. Yeah. In fact, you know, when the local newspaper did an article about my collection, they called me the king of beige wear. <laughs> now, should I should have held up that pink thing and said, ha, well, what about ha. this?
1: Yeah. You know? Look at me. I got some spice here I now. got
0: something pink now. Yeah. What do you think now? So <laughs> Exactly.
1: In your face.
0: In your face. Yeah. <laughs> then I would have swung it around and knocked him cold. <laughs> Knocked him out by accident.
1: Snap, snap, snap.
0: So my last question is, do you know what Joss Whedon's favorite video game is?
1: I do not know what his favorite video game is. I just know that Joss is not a big gamer himself. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine it would be something from like a long ago, like Pong or something, or like Centipede or Mm -hmm. Mr. But honestly, I just know that he's not a gamer himself. That's just not something he does for fun necessarily, but he... He loves doing, like, charades and things like that, like, you know, in-person kind of stuff. I'm not sure if he hmm. plays board games either, but I need to get work on that. I yeah. need to convince him to play some board games. They That's a good idea. Out. Yeah, I'm going to bring him a board game next time I see him, him now.
0: Bring, bring him a board game.
1: I will insist. Um, yeah, so I don't really know. I don't really know if, if he has one, but I'm talking on a term because he could listen to this and be like, Hey, I'm a huge gamer, and this is my favorite game, so yeah. I will stand corrected. I am happy to be corrected.
0: So that's not going to be the last question because that's lame to ask about somebody else. Um, the last question (laughs) is going to be about you and I'm going to figure it out real quick. Uh, on the fly. Yeah. Uh, what is, um, your greatest regret or your greatest (sighs) triumph? I don't know. Pick which one you want to answer.
1: I mean, I think my greatest regret is just not enjoying the moments of things versus always looking ahead and trying to run to something new. I think, And especially just in retrospect, I feel like I, I, I achieved a lot of great things that people admire me for, but in the moment I didn't enjoy them. I didn't enjoy the success of them. I didn't enjoy the struggle of them. Mm. I think the most important thing is to make sure you're doing something that you enjoy the daily process of, because cumulatively, it doesn't matter what your success is. It'll still, it'll feel, you'll feel regret that you didn't, um, savor it more and well, whether it's time you know people say that about mm-hmm. your kid enjoy the time because it goes so quickly well you should enjoy everything because yeah. it goes so quickly and well, uh oh, yeah man.
0: the children they grow up so fast it's insane i had no idea <laughs> because there's that relative this this thing where you when you're older per- perception of time yes
1: goes faster goes faster
0: yeah. and when i was a kid every year was like 10 years you know it's like oh yeah. it's never going in you know but when my kids have trouble in school now it's like well they'll be in next a grade in like a couple months from now you know new new yeah, teacher it's, it's okay
1: but then that's even more of an argument just cuz kids <laughs> i mean we're aging at the same time whether we have kids or not so
0: <laughs> so there's probably a way to slow down the perception of time if you do like really yeah. detailed minute like several miniatures. Say that.
1: And that's why you're supposed to do things that require concentration because you slow down your time. I you see. slow down the time that you're experiencing. So being on Twitter, like I'm trying to train myself to, if I want to go to Twitter, um, I mean, I do it part of my job and I do it because I enjoy it. But I just casually checking, whenever I try the impulse, I try to encourage myself to do a crossword um, mm. on, the, on the New York Times app or do some Duolingo and learn a couple Spanish words or read a book no. on my Kindle. So. Yeah. And I, have started doing that, and I feel a lot more enriched, and I feel like I'm accomplishing something every day versus like just rage, rage tweeting, you know, rage um,
0: tweeting political yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. What, what's the last book you read?
1: Um, you know, I've. Oh God, what was it? Um, God, I can't even remember. I mean, I had a, I had a romance book club called Vaginal Fantasy. We oh did yeah. Like a video
0: Vaginal Fantasy. We just fantasy. ended it. Yeah, we uh-huh. just
1: ended it, but so we read. A really great book, and I can't even remember the name of it i've been, I've been reading like a book on how to become fluent in languages because I'd rather do that than study language. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> You'd um, rather learn, learn about yeah I know i will <laughs> learn how to do it without doing it, and um there's a book I just bought, a biography of Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci that I really want to dig in because I do feel like when I read nonfiction, time slows down more. I'm all about slowing down time because I want to live uh long.
0: yeah, I know i I do too. We just, my wife and I have been watching this show called Outlander, which is oh, like
1: yeah,
0: a sort of like a romance novel in um, mini series form or something. It's crazy. yes, it is.
1: I've read all the books. Oh, I don't wow. watch the show, but it's mm-hmm. a really good show. I just I don't have time anymore. Yeah, I played video game for three hours last night. Well, two and a half hours, and it was I played this game called Kingdoms and Castles. It's kind of like a, a simplified Sim City, but for kingdoms. And it, I was like, this is the best two hours of my life because I haven't played like just wasted, not wasted, but I haven't just enjoyed myself playing a video game without streaming it in like months and months and months.
0: You have um, a baby now, and you can't you don't have the time to do that kind of stuff.
1: exactly. I stream yeah. on Saturday nights on Twitch for fun yeah. because I'm like, quote unquote, it's my community. and it's really just an excuse to hang out with people.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. but like I
1: did it alone. I played this game alone, and I was like, this is fantastic
0: yeah that's awesome actually yeah. I, this is the actual last question this is it this is it nothing more. Uh-huh. okay, what do people get wrong about you the most? That's what I want to know.
1: um Wow, I don't know. I think they think I'm confident, but you're not. Yeah and I guess um I don't ju- I, I think some people cynically th- think that I'm calculating in what I do and like adopting nerddom for my own. I mean that's those are the haters kind of people. And that just confuses me because honestly, there's so many other ways to make it in Hollywood. <laughs> I've made it in Hollywood. I think the perception, actually, that's probably the best one. Uh, the perception that I've made it in Hollywood, quote unquote, it, that people offer you know, tons of jobs and all this stuff. I'm like, no, I'm still struggling. I'm still, you know, I work a, a lot. I'm on a couple of TV shows now and I'm very blessed right now. But it's always ups and downs and ebbs and flows and success followed by failures and failures and failures and then another success. And there's never like, you're never always successful. Mm-hmm. even the best people um, you're always going to have your down moments and your setbacks and those are the great parts where you can kind of reevaluate and make sure you're on the right path and so I guess those are a couple of things confidence and success those mm. are all outside perceptions that we all impose on other people when in fact none of us has it all the time
0: except me just
1: kidding exactly there
0: you yeah, go no. I, yeah it's always a struggle it's always a struggle and we're always fighting ourselves like inside it's the, the, the voice inside you you know
1: we can't just accept ourselves it's just so crazy
0: yeah well it's been wonderful talking to you it's been lots of fun and so thank you for doing this
1: yeah no problem i'm excited um and uh hopefully uh you find out more about that pink laptop
0: i I, i'll let you know when i do i'll I'll figure it out so okay thanks again have a good day talk to you later bye bye